0: Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. I would imagine you know Lazy Boy is a national brand. You've sat in its chairs. But some of its stores are independently owned and operated, and the one here in Amarillo is owned by the Hawkins family. They live right here in town. Lazy Boy offers customizable furniture so you can design a look that fits you with special financing, with products to fit every budget. Almost everything they sell is American-made, and it's a whole lot more than just recliners. Visit Amarillo's locally-owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sonsi. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also wanna give a podcast shout-out to Broom Optical. This locally-owned optometrist business began in Amarillo in 1929, if you can believe that. Learn more at icareamarello.com. That's E Y E careamarello.com. Today's guest is Zivarad Filipovich, whom everyone pretty much just calls Z, including me. He's a marketing professional who has been deeply involved in the local nonprofit scene for several years now. I, I first met Z when he was on staff at the Amarillo Symphony. Well, today he's in a relatively new position as a director of marketing and communications for the High Plains Food Bank. But as with all of my guests, there's way more to Z than just his job title or his career. And his story is particularly compelling. He and his family arrived in the United States as refugees from the war-torn Balkan Peninsula in the 1990s, where his country was immersed in probably the deadliest conflict in Europe since World War II. Now I knew Z a long time before I knew the extent of his story, and I'm just grateful he was willing to tell it for Hey Amarillo listeners. Here's Zivorod Filipovich. Zivorod Filipovich, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to call you Z because that's what everybody yes. calls you. <laughs> but I uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm I'm eager to to give you a chance to talk about how you ended up here and, and your story, your family story, all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's start right there, where I start with all my guests and just um, ask you how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place.
1: Sure. So my family originally is from Serbia. Uh, we were refugees um, from there that came to the United States um, through a program that was offered. So I was originally born in Croatia, okay, uh, in Vukovar, Croatia, So my family lived there while when I was born. Um, So um, I'm the first child uh, of my family, and so my mom and dad lived in Vukovar when you know I was a newborn. And uh, there was a war that broke out. You know, former Yugoslavia basically broke out in ethnic wars. Yeah,
0: the whole Balkans situation there.
1: And so I was a newborn. My family lived in a really rough part at that time, and so they had to leave. Their home and basically immigrate to Serbia to feel safe. What so, was the
0: what was the time period for that? So
1: 1990. Okay, so I was born in February of 1990, around 1991. Right before 1991, the war you know had started. Okay, and everyone was you know just causing chaos. Yeah. and so my family didn't feel safe in in Croatia and had to, you know, take what they could with a newborn and go to, into Serbia. And so my dad tried to go back um, after they, you know, fled to try to get some personal belongings, and basically the house was gone. It was oh, burned man. down. So it was a tough situation for my parents, kind of, you know, being refugees in, in their own country, basically. Exactly,
0: yeah. What was your your family's occupation? What would your dad do? Or? So
1: my, my dad... Um, he he mostly did um, kind of contractor work. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what his background was. Mom was a, more a homemaker back home, um, so she spent most of the time at you know at, the, at home taking care of the household. Okay. Things like that.
0: So how long were you in the uh, the refugee camp?
1: We, they fled into Serbia. They got help the Red Cross. Came in at that time and was there to you know help. Um, and so my family, you know tried to kind of gather what they could and, and get help where they could. And so they actually got help from a family that lived in Serbia that took us in at that time. Um, And then a few years later um, we actually stayed with my aunt. Okay. Um, My aunt and, and grandma kind of lived across the street from each other in the same neighborhood. So we, we kind of lived in that area for a while. And then my brother and sister came along after that so 1992 my brother was born and then in 1996 my sister was born and so we kind of lived from place to place yeah there wasn't really like a home because um, we lived with somebody or we got help from someone to live you know to live with them and so around 1998-99 my family actually... Um, lived in Serbia in a back house, kind of like a guest house, where it was my sister, my brother, me, and my parents lived in this one room with this family that let us stay there um, and basically helped us in a time that we just didn't have anywhere to go. And so my parents uh, were able to apply for a program to come to the United States Um, That was offered, you know, the U.S. came in Mm -hmm. and kind of helped out where they could. And so my parents were able to apply to, you know, go through the interview process to come, you know, to the United States. And so we actually were sent, you know, they didn't tell you where you were going to go. So they actually sent us to Dallas, Texas. Right. And we ended up in Dallas, Texas in 1999. Um, I was nine years old. Spoke zero English, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know, someone met us at the airport. You know, kind of got us situated in an apartment, got us handled. We lived there for about a year um, in an apartment complex that had other um, Serbians and Bosnians and Kore- like okay, just people from that part of the the world were also in that same apartment complex, so it kind of made made you feel at home. Okay, and then my parents didn't like Dallas very much. Because, <laughs> of course, such a huge culture shock yeah, coming from sure. where we we lived in a very small town. And so my dad actually got in touch with friends that they knew from back home that lived in Emerald, Texas. Okay. So he came down here to check it out, see what it's all about, and the, the next thing you know, we're packing up the car and, and moving down here. Um, I you know, went to middle school here. I went to Sam Houston Middle School. That's where I learned all of my English in the ESL program, (laughs) which, you know, I'm so thankful for that we had that. And Catholic Family Services was actually one of the programs that helped us settle here, helped us, you know, with translators, you know, getting mom and dad into jobs and getting us into schools, into doctor's appointments. And so... Amarillo has been home for me ever since then so you know middle school high school all of that has been here and it's been you know an amazing place to live.
0: Okay I have some I have some follow-up questions. Sure. Um, How much do you remember I mean obviously it's a lot yeah uh, because you were you were nine when you moved here as opposed to like being a toddler or something but um, how much do you remember about that you know, that transitional period where you didn't really have a place to live or you were living in a sure. home with another family, you yes. know, a single room. What are those childhood memories like? Are they sure. are they good memories? Or are they fearful memories? I mean, what, what's that like growing up in that environment?
1: Um, I would say a lot of that was fearful. Okay. Um, so I remember, you know, of course, like I was a newborn, so I don't remember, you know, the first part of all that was going on. Um, I had dreams for years of, of just dreaming about my parents fleeing their home with me in their arms. Like hmm. I just, even though I was a newborn, I, I had dreams like that.
0: Like when you were a kid or like when I was even, a kid. Okay. Yeah.
1: So when I was a kid, I had those dreams and I remember, so of course I went to school in Serbia. So, um, I walked to school and during that time, things were, you know, things were bad. Things in me, mean, people, planes were flying over you. You don't know if you were getting bombed. Just all the time, right? Yes. I mean, it's, was- And so, you know, the teachers would tell us, you know, don't pick up, you know, my parents would tell me, don't pick up a pen off the street. It could be a bomb or, you know, it could be something that could kill you, basically. Hmm. So, you know, it was just kind of like you're scared the whole time because you're you're just thinking about death. You don't know what is happening. And of course, then you have planes flying over and the sirens going off, which I don't like the tornado sirens here because it reminds me of that. And so I still kind of have that feeling when those go off, like, oh, my gosh, like we have to get into, you know, um, a bunker or basement to to feel safe. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah.
0: have you had to deal with some of that trauma as an adult or at least learn to compartmentalize it? Yes. You know, when so, you've got planes flying overhead all the time yes. in Amarillo and, and all that stuff.
1: It's gotten better over the years, um, you know, when I was um, – Like I said, when I was younger, kind of through the middle school, probably even some high school time, I would have nightmares Hmm. just of war. It was just kind of one of those things that kept happening. It's gotten so much better now. Like I don't tend to feel those emotions. Of course, you know, things remind you of what happened back then, right? And so it's just it's it's just one of those things that, as a child, I remember going through that and how thankful I am that I was for my parents for thinking about their kids and wanting us to have a better life and to move us to, you know, across the world. Yeah. Like that's all they knew. Like that was their home and to kind of relocate all of us here. I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing. And I'm to to this day, I'm thankful for them for that.
0: Yeah, of course. The, the the Balkan conflict itself was so complicated. Yes, um, so many different sides and things like that. I, I wonder when you moved here and your, or when you moved to Dallas, your family landed in an apartment yes. complex with a lot of people from that part of the world. Like, did some of those divisions kind of travel with everyone? I mean, were were there concerns about? Well, there's that family, you know, down on the third floor or right. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, did, was that something you were aware of?
1: No, so not as a kid, I wasn't, Um, like you said, there was a lot of different sides and I don't think any side was right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to, you know, to kill people because of their ethnic origin, because they don't believe the same things you believe. I don't, you know, that was just horrible to imagine. And of course, like now as an adult, I've seen, Plenty of movies that have been made back home and things like that that have kind of shown some of the sides of what actually happened, and just hearing my parents talk about it. Right. But as a kid, no, I didn't really get a sense of that. I mean, we my my parents had friends from all over. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is, um, so my mom is Muslim, my dad is Serbian Orthodox. Okay. So, so that division
0: s- was right there in your family. You didn't too. see
1: a lot of that. Yeah. So you didn't see a lot of mixed culture getting married mm-hmm. back even back like back then of course you know it my parents just fell in love and it happened <laughs> but um, so I never was torn between who like I should hang out with like if they're Bosnian or Serbian or you know wherever they're from it's like because I had that in my own family like okay. my mom is from Bosnia that's where she was raised my dad is from Serbia Serbian Orthodox Church and you know my mom's Muslim, so it's like it was just one of those things that always um, was was a part of my family, and I never saw division. We were never raised to think differently of the different cultures from where we're from.
0: Was it strange growing up in a multi-religious household? I so mean, never, celebrating yeah a lot of different holidays. Right, I
1: mean, right. And so what I, what I liked about that is is you know my mom never never said we couldn't celebrate this or that, or my dad never, you know, it was it was always like, you know, a, a good household mm-hmm. that we, you know, we respected both sides. Um, so as a child, like, you know, with my dad being Serbian Orthodox, I got my name from my grandfather. So like, you know, there wasn't ever like conflict between like, what should we name our children? You know, because, right. <laughs> you know, it's two different types of cultures. But no, we always... We celebrated both sides. My siblings and I were all like, we're, we all practice the Serbian Orthodox Church. So, like, um, and my mom was never against that. So, it's, you know, that's the path we followed.
0: Tell me about the culture shock, not just of arriving in Dallas, but then arriving in Amarillo um, as a middle schooler, which mm-hmm. is a, a hard time. Yes. Even if you grew up here and speak the language. <laughs> Um so tell me like about some of the things that, that you experienced and how you kind of navigated those years. Sure. So I you know, Dallas
1: spent about a year there, but it was it was a different experience like as far as school went because they just I, I just remember it as being stuck on a computer, like listening to words and sentences, which I didn't know what they meant. Mm-hmm. Um coming to Amarillo and um really being able to go to Sam Houston, I think, was such a benefit to me, because I was in a classroom with people from all over the world. Yeah, it's a like, pretty diverse. It's, it's amazing, school. and so we were all learning the same thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was kids from Serbia and Bosnia in the same classroom, and we all like got along. But of course, you know, you're sitting there and not knowing. You know, it's kind of funny when you don't know the language. And everybody asks you, like, how did you even learn English? I'm like, I don't really know. I just was immersed into it, <laughs> yeah. and everybody else was learning the same thing. So it's like, just kind of picked it up. But you know, that experience I loved because you know I had such a great teacher, you know, Mrs. Lemons, who I love to this day, and she's she's one of my one of my mentors that I think highly of. But that experience was probably one of you know one of the best just meeting people from all walks of life basically mm-hmm. and it's like you got to celebrate your culture within that classroom you were in that classroom all day with the same kids and so you kind of you know grew up with them and then you know you went you went back home and we lived in the like back then there was the Austin apartments yeah and that's where All of the refugees still a very yeah very
0: diverse set of
1: and so we all went back home and we all kind of lived in the same area so we spent all that time with with them, but you know it. I think the scariest experience was when they were telling you 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 know like you're you're done with ESL and now you're ready for regular classes Mm -hmm. and you went from a portable to like going into the big halls I guess yeah, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but so you know, I just. That was a good time, I think. You know, and um, I'm thankful for Sam Houston. We lived in the Fannin school district, but Fannin didn't have ESL at that time. So, of course, I took the bus. So, taking the bus was a different experience Mm -hmm. because it's like never really been on a bus. (laughs) How
0: did your How did your parents adjust? I mean, was it? I I imagine in a lot of situations like that, it's harder for the parents than it is for the kids. It is because they've got, you know, sometimes forty or fifty years of one way and then having to shift that. Kids are more adaptable. I mean, do you have a sense of how they dealt with it?
1: Yeah. So, of course, for my parents, it was harder um, on many levels. I mean, you're talking about they lived their whole lives back home and coming here and trying to adapt to what America is and how you live here, how you work here. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. And so for them, the language barrier was harder. Just because it, it's harder it was harder for them to learn English. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to this day, they, they can they can communicate as best they can and they can understand the best they can, but they don't speak fluently. And so that was that was a big adjustment for them. Um, of course, you know with Catholic Family Services, they got a lot of help with translation for, for a couple of years while we were here because um, they help you for a few years and then it's kind of you're on your own. So I think it was a big adjustment for them to come here and leave their families behind Mm -hmm. and everything they've known for their whole lives and, you know, come here and work and, you know, raise us as as kids Um, and, you know, really try to, um, I think they really just try to make a life for us mostly.
0: I'm interested in the religious aspect too, because you know, with your dad being Orthodox, your your mom being Muslim, yes. coming to Amarillo, where there is a very small Orthodox community, mm-hmm. there's a pretty small Muslim community, yes. and and much of that community is immigrants or refugees yes. from all over the world. Right? Um, were they able to find, you know, a a satisfying way to pursue their religious faith in Amarillo? So that that that's
1: tough here. Um, so there, you know, they're
0: there's like one Greek Orthodox, Greek Orthodox church, yes. and that's not quite the same. I mean, it's closer it's, it's than it's other. It's not,
1: you know, it's as close as it can get. I guess it's like a Southern Baptist <laughs> going to an Episcopal church, right. <laughs> I mean, kind yeah. of. But but what's you know? So they, you know, religiously, I mean, there's really not a place for them to go here to really fulfill that part the, re- the religious part um you know bigger cities now in the united states have built serbian orthodox churches mm-hmm. and and there's more of bigger communities out there of course armola doesn't have a huge community of serbian bosnian populations right so that so that was harder for them to you know th- there's really not a church home you know for them or for us really it's just finding the best we can as far as, you know, practicing our religion. And most of that comes through just our, um, different holidays that okay. we have throughout the year. And then we practice that as a family. Yeah. So maintaining so the traditions, the, traditions yes.
0: if the, uh, the weekend services are not always, yes. you know, so what, what you're looking for. We've
1: maintained the tra- tra- traditions over the years. And so we do that, you know, all the time. And so that's kind of kept us close to home. Um, and of course, um, being able to have, um, my family has Serbian television at home so they can watch all of that too. Yeah,
0: that's uh, yeah. the wonders of technology. Yes, that w- probably wasn't possible in the 90s here. No, not um, at all. Okay, so you came of age here, spent your formative teenage years here. Yes. Did you intend to stick around here? Did you ever think, I'm going to go someplace else? You know, so that, you know, I thought about it. I
1: there was a time where I thought I was going to end up somewhere else like Dallas or wherever the wind took me I guess. Yeah. Well, it'll take you a lot of places here. <laughs> From you, exactly. So, you know, I I went to, you know, West Texas A&M University and and did my an undergrad there and, you know, um I thought I was going to go off and work in, you know, an advertising agency in, in Dallas, you know, cuz you know, through that process, I got to visit a lot of agencies in that area, and that was like, oh, I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do. And life had different plans. I mean, it was. I found the Emerald Symphony right after I graduated, and that kind of just came up through networking, and it was just something that um, I got an email about one day, and I was like, well, this this will be great. Like, I could I could do that, and so um, I had applied, and and that's what. You know, started uh, my career here was the Emerald Symphony and being their marketing director, and really um, building um, just my career here with that, with the symphony is is just it happened and I loved it and I stayed here and you know like six years later and I was still there and I was like okay yeah like maybe this is where I'm what I'm meant to do work in nonprofit and um, so you know not I didn't always think I was going to be here. But it happened.
0: You know, it, it's interesting because I I know that you you're no longer at the symphony. You've you've yes. taken uh, a, a couple of different shifts in your career since then. But you've largely stayed in the nonprofit world yes. from a marketing side. And I I wonder if you can tell me what about that category of marketing, advertising, all that stuff is is attractive to you? Sure. So to me.
1: Um so I took a little shift and 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 thought I was gonna go into you know for profit. Right. <laughs> and then quickly realized how fulfilling my job at the symphony was. And even though I didn't know it, I was making a bigger difference than I thought mm-hmm. in in just that. And so it matters to me, um, you know, what I'm doing and what impact I'm making on my community. So for for some reason, the nonprofit world was just at my heart, and this community gave so much to me and my family, um, and to this day, I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, it's kind of like I am giving back, and I am helping others. So. Um, now I'm with the Hype Lines Food Bank,
0: right? Which and, is still nonprofit, but <laughs> yes. like that's very different. I mean, yes. you're, you're going from marketing music to you know trying to raise exactly. money and, and get cans of food, yes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So. so
1: with the symphony, it was you know it was also raising money, but for a different right. So the arts, you know, it was it was kind of like you know we need we need arts in schools, and that's and I love that, and I think it's important what music can do. Um, you know what music has done for me, and it's kind of like a healing thing for me. I love music and it's something that I will always love. But the High Plains Food Bank also has a big part in my heart because my family, when we came here and needed help, we got help from agencies that directly got help, you know, got help from the food bank right. to provide food.
0: Because you arrive here, your parents arrive here with no jobs sometimes, no prospects, yep. don't know the language. Exactly. Like that's a very vulnerable position. And it that's is. where the food bank can be very helpful.
1: It yes, and so it, I I know what it's like to be without, and I know what it's like to go into a store and not be able to buy something you want, and it, that, and that's a tough situation for for anybody, and it's and there is you know you you sometimes feel ashamed, and I know my parents didn't always feel great about needing to ask for help mm-hmm. and and that and 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 through the years I've just I've said to myself I don't think anyone should be ashamed for wanting or needing. Food and necessities, because that's everybody needs that, and so nonprofit like nonprofit has just. I think I've I think I've found my calling. Like that's that's what I think I'm meant to be, and um, something that I really enjoy. It's being able to at the end of the day say what you did to make a difference in your community.
0: I I like this opportunity to talk to you because you are very experienced in the nonprofit world and yet you're new at the food bank. Yes. And and there's a learning curve, you there know, is. when you join any new organization, especially a, somebody in marketing where your job is to communicate sure. about what that organization does. And so I wonder um, if there are any things that, that you've learned, you know, over the past month or, or two with the food bank, um, that's been surprising to you. Like, like as you level up and, and yes. figure out what you're doing, like, what what's most impressive to you about what the food bank is is able to accomplish here?
1: There's definitely a learning curve. I mean, you know, going into the food bank, uh, I probably came in with the same sense of knowledge as anybody else that is out in the community right now, like what does the food bank do? Yeah, which is like
0: high <laughs> name recognition, yes. but like low what do they actually do recognition. Right.
1: So, it's been eye-opening how much they do and um, one of the impressive programs that I got to to learn about recently was just Kids Cafe, mm-hmm. um, and how how much of a need that is, and what they do. Like especially during the summer months, you know, kids kids are out of school. Some of them don't know where their next meal comes from if if they're not at school getting a, a meal, you know. And so that's been one of the most impressive things I've learned. Just what the kids cafe and that they go out into the community and that in a day they're feeding and on average a thousand kids a yeah. day and adults, you know, they, they feed kids and adults that mm-hmm. are need of food. And so that's been eye opening. but it's just been incredible to see, you know, all of the different groups of people that the food bank helps. Cause we're in, 29 counties. Right,
0: not just in Amarillo, but and all over the panhandle. It's
1: insane. I mean, it's it's just incredible to to think that we are making a difference in all of these communities, not just Potter and Randall counties. And so I just um I think it's impressive, you know, what the food bank has been able to do just even during COVID, you know, with n- the need being so high yeah. and new people coming in and not knowing where to go to get help and assistance. And, and you know, I just love that. And I'm glad that we have the High Plains Food Bank here.
0: What have you learned about local people as a result of working, whether it's for the food bank, whether it's for the symphony, um, you're dealing with uh, supporters and donors of these various organizations um, that are so essential to how they operate. Uh, I wonder if if you've learned anything about maybe the generosity of local people or the humanitarianism, I guess, of mm-hmm. local people in thinking about these needs and thinking about these programs.
1: So, just you know, just the people that step up and help is amazing. I feel like there are so such a good and giving heart in many of our people in our community, and that they're willing to step up and help their neighbor. So I've I've just I've I've seen you know so many impactful stories of of, um, you know people coming in and either you know if they're donating funds or time or whatever it is, um, I've just seen the good heart in everybody, and you know I just I love that I love that there's people here that that truly care about their neighbor and that they want to step up and help and and they did step up during that time yeah like, absolutely. It's it's incredible the support um, that the food bank has received because it's it's just increased during that time. It didn't decrease. Yeah, and the, so the need like,
0: increased, but like the generosity increased yes. to match it. It's,
1: and and that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's like those people that could do something did it, and and they made the impact so much more powerful. And and it's just amazing that we have um, such a strong community that steps up here for any nonprofit, really not just a food bank.
0: Does Amarillo feel like home to you by this point?
1: You know, I've, so I'm 31 now and moved to Amarillo when I was like 10.
0: Yeah. So you've got got twice as much time here as you did. So it's, it's
1: been, it is home and I've gotten to know some of the most incredible people here. Um, and I will never. I mean, I'll never forget the people that have that always stepped up and helped my family when my family was in need. And and to this day, I still keep in touch with all, a lot of those people. A lot of my old teachers from mm-hmm. middle school, high school, you know. And so it's it's felt like home, and it's a great place, and I love it. I mean, it's it has a big place in my heart now, and I've you know I've been here so long, so I haven't left yet. I don't I don't, I don't know if I will. but... <laughs>
0: Hey is also sponsored this week by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years. He's my kid's dentist too. Owen just went there for a cleaning the other day. He's an expert on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patients' smiles and positioning. Speaking of Owen, my son just finished a stint on these aligners and he's thrilled with the result. We're lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise here in Amarillo. So to learn more, visit shimandental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Hey Amarillo is also sponsored this week by the Texas Outdoor Musical. It's just finishing up its summer season this week. This is your last chance to go, but it's not quite finished entertaining local audiences. The Little Texas for Texas concert is coming up August 27th. It's an incredible night of music to support the texas outdoor musical and the texas panhandle heritage foundation the band little texas I, I don't know if you remember but they were part of the young country movement of the early 1990s they fused modern rock with country themes and styles back then it was pretty unique and for their efforts they received grammy nominations they won a bunch of awards they sold seven million albums they were a really big deal and they're still out touring and performing the concert is august 27th at the first united bank center parking lot Tickets for this fundraiser concert start at $30, and you can learn more at texasshow.com. That's Texas Texas-show.com. Come see Little Texas for Texas. Okay, I'm back with Zivarod Filipovich of the High Plains Food Bank. Um, Z, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a segment of rock with camel tracks that was discovered near Channing, Texas. And those tracks are estimated to be from 2 to 5 million years old. So they're at one point, were camels in the Panhandle. Always interesting to me. Uh, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, uh, the first question, and, and this is one I've been asking all my guests for the past year or so, is, is what's one thing 2020 or the pandemic revealed to you about local people? You know, with COVID or, you know, with the
1: pandemic, um, I just saw um, an increase in our community getting together and helping one another. I think that was, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me, you know, with, with, with what happened. And um, I just love that. I mean, that's such a positive thing to be able to say that we actually, you know, saw a need and helped those that didn't have what we had um you know a lot of people lost lost jobs lost income and and i saw neighbors helping neighbors mm-hmm. really and i just um i just love that i can say that about amarillo and and what happened
0: i think one of the things that was most impressive to me uh was actually with the food bank in those early months when they knew that the need was so big and then also some of the supply chain issues it was yes. so hard to get food like local companies food producers all that stuff like Pitched in and built up the supplies of the yes, food bank. They did, uh, which is just uh, says a lot about where we live and how big a role agriculture and food mm-hmm. production plays. That they had that stuff, but um, just kind of the whole community working from individual level up to uh, corporate level.
1: Exactly, and I love that. I love that we have such generous uh, businesses here that are willing to step up. Mm-hmm. You know, when they see the need, I think that's amazing.
0: What does this area have too much of?
1: So this is I, I thought about this and I think you know um homeless is okay. is what come, came to mind and it's just it's interesting to learn that we have on average 1700 kids in our school system that are homeless that that, that was a surprising statistic that I learned and I'm on I'm on the board with Guy on Saunders. Okay. Um, Resource Center. And so um I kinda directly see the impact they have on on trying to help, you know, these people come off the streets and into, you know, apartments and jobs and things like that. So um that's something that's always like heavy on my heart is is, is seeing someone on the street and not, not that they don't have a home. I directly tie that back to my mom's heart because she's always willing to help whoever it is give her last dollar to, right. to someone well, that needs them more than Your family that.
0: knows what it's like to not yeah. have a place to live.
1: Yeah. And so that always, um, that's what I think that Emerald has too much of, is just is, homelessness.
0: Is that number, has that changed? I feel like I've heard stats that say the homelessness rate or the number of individuals mm-hmm. has actually gone down slightly. Um, but I think because maybe it was COVID, maybe it's uh, the reputation of Amarillo as a generous right. community, like panhandling has increased. And so you see more yes. people on street corners, even though the actual numbers may have declined a little bit. Right. I, you you may know more about than I do. You know, Garen Saunders has um,
1: a good relationship with the people that come in there and they're able to, you know, get them into a system that kind of keeps track of where they are in, in, in the area and just kind of like, where they are in their next steps mm-hmm. because you know they have so many resources that help people get their GEDs and get them, you know, into jobs and apartments and and things like that. So it's you know the number of homeless I don't I don't know the exact statistics on, you know, what the numbers are obviously, but it's they they tend to get new people all the time, yeah. which is and it's not they might not be from this area. They're like traveling from somewhere, right? And they end up in Amarillo and then they're homeless here. So it, it's just, it's sad to think, you know, that yeah, that's it's happening. Constant fluctuation, though. Yes. And so it's like the numbers, it's kind of hard like okay, And then, you know, every year, um, you know, there is a um, an event that takes place where people go out and they try to f- um, find people in these areas that are living. Um, On different sides of town, and see, like, why are they homeless? Where they are? So it's kind of we we try to keep numbers, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on, because it's like every year tends to change. Well,
0: with a transitory population, it's hard to get hard numbers. So it
1: is. So um, I love that we have places that they can go during the day, and you know, hopefully in the evenings. Um, So you know, Guyon Saunders helps with with day shelter and we have amazing groups of volunteers that come in and and help feed these people and
0: make sure they have a meal. Okay, what does this area not have enough of?
1: So vision, I think. Okay? Um, tell me what that means. So I've traveled, of course. <laughs> and I've been to other cities and and you know, one thing that sticks out to me is that Emmeral is a big big small city, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. And you know, I always think that we should have more facilities that can bring bigger names here as far as concerts. And so I think we tend to, when it comes down to voting for a certain proposition or trying to get something new here, Mm -hmm. um, it's like we we develop tunnel vision and we think about how that's gonna impact me, not necessarily how this will impact the community and the future of the city. Um, and I'm a semi-young person, so <laughs> it's like I think about. I always tend to think about what what can we leave for the next generation that will better this place. And so that that's kind of my explanation there, as far as like vision and encouraging people to think think more broad, as yeah. far as like okay this will increase my taxes just a little bit but what is it going to do as far as the city in the next 10 20 years yeah. from now and what can we bring here that will keep our young people here um you know i i i want us to have the job opportunities that people want and that they can stay here for and make emerald their home like most of us have made so
0: i i heard uh, I think it was the last bond issue. I heard a conversation between uh, uh, some people in their 70s, a husband and wife, and he was complaining about how he doesn't need any of that stuff. He's going to vote against it. None of that appeals to him. And the wife said, it's not a vote for you. It's a vote for your grandchildren. Exactly. And like, oh, and like like kind exactly. of the light bulb went off. And I, I think you're right that that small-mindedness – uh, I think the older we get, the more we get attached to that. Yes, <laughs> and, and it's being able to think past yourself that is so important.
1: It's like, in a, and with with those propositions, like you have to. Uh, there's so much that goes gets out on social media or whatever it is, but it's like you have to like educate yourself, kind of on your own, and try to figure out, um, you know what, what is actually going to happen with taxes or whatever it is, because mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of misinformation that gets, unfortunately, spread around and then yeah. causes people to. Freak out and they're like, my taxes are going up fifty like, percent. Right, right. So you know, and I, and I hope you know that we could get get to that point where we we think, like, what is this going to do for you know our kids, our grandkids in the future?
0: How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? To
1: me, it's like just being around people. Um, I've always said it's some of the nicest people around that you'll ever meet. Um, Cause like I've had that experience with, which is the majority of the people I've met. Um, it's like, we're, we're a big, big city. You know, if you want to call us a big city, big, small city, but it's like people, there's people here that are willing to help you mm-hmm. and, and get you on the right path. And, um, just be kind to one another, and I, and I love that that I can say that because it's it it's such a such a great place.
0: Other than the food bank, your employer, um, what's your favorite local nonprofit?
1: This is hard because there's so many, and every they they all do amazing work um, and and one that that I particularly love is um, Storybridge. Okay. I love to read. So um having those little libraries around town, I think this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like the little books they have just in different neighborhoods that people can pick up and, and share with each other. I think that's a that's a phenomenal idea. And um I'm al always a proponent, like, you know, everyone should read. I think that's a a, a great way to expand our knowledge and and skill set and I think they do it phenomenal phenomenal yeah. work.
0: Yeah, Storybridge founder Chandra Perkins is a past guest on the podcast. Yes. So, um, what's your favorite local restaurant?
1: That's a hard question too.
0: <laughs> Cuz there's so
1: many and I feel like Amarillo has such talent when it comes to food. <laughs> and I feel like we have some of the best restaurants in in our in, in our area and yeah, certainly Holland. the area. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it just it's it's amazing how how many of them are locally owned, which is is awesome. Um, one that I, if I had to pick one, um, Public House would probably be one right. of, of my favorites to go to. I've always had great food and great service there, so never had a bad experience.
0: Okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop?
1: Palace. Palace Coffee. Um, I, I love the coffee, of course. Uh, I, I'll, of course, think Crystal and Patrick are amazing people and they also give back to the community mm-hmm. with their cause lattes and um, love that about their their business model too.
0: Do you have a particular um, location that you go to most frequently? So I
1: used to go to downtown because I work downtown, you mm-hmm. know, um, and r- that's probably the closest one now. I used to go to 34th because that was pretty close to where I was, you know, always around that area. So I guess downtown would probably yeah. be the one now that I mostly go way. to. <laughs>
0: Okay, and when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch?
1: So, I actually um went there in September. And you know, I I think that's such a iconic place here. You know, you, you tend to forget when you live here for so long, you tend to forget that there's these places out mm-hmm. there that you know uh, that you don't think about going cuz it's like tourists, right. you know? Right. <laughs> but You know, it's always fun to take spray paint out there and, and, you know, spray some Cadillacs.
0: (laughs) Okay. Z, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience?
1: I love locally owned places, of course. I think that, that, you know, supporting them is huge. Um, One of the places that I recently came to know is because, because I went to the Brick and Elm, um launch yeah, party yeah. um was uh, from six collective. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love that idea. Um and I think it's awesome that there's so many local places that we have from Six Collective that houses a lot of these. And it's great that you can go in there and you can shop all of them <laughs> in <laughs> one place and, and you know get a great gift. Think it's a great place to get a gift for birthday or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, so that's, you know, um, a place that I would love people to know about that don't. Um, if you are in search of a place where you can do all your shopping,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really unique place because it. Um You know, you can't until this one. You couldn't always find all of the creative people and the unique shops and all that stuff in one place. So it's like a mall for creatives. It is, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, And it might be interesting. Casey Tam, the owner, was a a podcast guest while she was in the process of just starting to build From Six Collective, like two and a half years ago. It would be interesting to go back and listen to that episode and then see like what the realization was compared to now. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's such a cool idea and I, am glad that, uh, that she's get getting very consistent traffic, you know, off yes. of I-40 and that that's drawing interest to all of the vendors, exactly. all of the artists and stuff.
1: Exactly. It's pretty, it, it's just awesome. I, I, I that there. I mean, I, I found gifts when I was there just for whatever the next holiday is, yeah, right? Yeah. Stock <laughs> you, up always, way, you always yeah. need stuff. So, um, that's a, that's a great concept and, and such a cool place to go to
0: all right zivarod filipovich thanks for being on the show appreciate Thank it you for having me and that concludes the episode i want to say thanks to z for the interview you can learn more about the high plains food bank at hpfb.org thanks as always to angelina marie for editing the show every week and to panhandle plains historical museum for sponsoring eight straight every week i also want to say thanks to this week's sponsors Lazy Boy Home Furnishings, Shim and Dental, and the Texas Outdoor Musical. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and all the local people who support it financially through Patreon.com/slash heyamrello. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Criselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Corey Burns. This has been Episode 209. My name is Jason Boyette